0: For information about investing in character-led companies, please visit www.rocinvestments.com and join the growing number of investors choosing to make character a priority when investing their money.
1: Welcome to another episode of Return on Character podcast with me, your host, Dan Cooper founder and CEO of Rock Investments, an investment strategy that allocates capital into the public markets based on the character of the leadership team leading those companies. I'm honored to have Ashley Bryant with us today on the on the podcast, co-founder and, and CEO of Three Strands. Um, just a word, a little bit before we get going, and before I get and prompt, Ashley, to tell us your story. Um, The exciting thing about this story is it's another example of somebody pushing against the darkness in the world and fighting uh, in, in in a category that most of us just totally get overwhelmed by, and that is human trafficking. And so I am excited to have Ashley here to talk to us about what she's doing, but also to kind of explain and maybe pull the blanket away from from what really goes on in the space. So welcome Ashley. thank you for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here and, and on your show Dan.
1: It's great to have you here and it's it's great to have people that uh, that lead with their heart and whatever they do. but I'd like to to, to start with you um, tell us a little bit about three strands and then and then how you how three strands came to be.
0: Yeah, you bet. So, uh, gosh, going back to, um, 2008, um, my story sort of, you know, was I was in high tech, um, marketing communications, uh, for years. And, um, uh, in 2008, my good friend's daughter, um, was trafficked and, and that incident that happened, um, really made me pause and think about what I was doing with my own life. I um, had been in a career and successfully for a while, for a while and felt like I was making impact in, but I realized as I sat down and sort of thought about where my impact was, it was more about um, services and widgets and things and products than it was people. And even though um, Mm -hmm. interacting with others obviously is a big piece of who I am, but impacting on a daily basis in my work, um, became my advocation and my and has been my role for the last 13 years. So, in 2008, um, my good friend's daughter, who when she was trafficked, the the trafficker was sentenced in fed, to federal um, a federal sentence, 12 and a half years in federal prison, and um, then we started the nonprofit not long after that with the, really the focus of prevention. It was how do we stop the crime before it starts, which 13 years ago. That was um, very. Uh, it wasn't talked about the prevention side of things as much as um, the recovery side. And prevention was when we talk about law enforcement, that piece of prevention was, but not prevention at the the ch- the children, right? The the youth and the survivors, not on that side.
1: Were you aware whenever you learned about your your friend's daughter? Like, was that what kind of opened your eyes to this? Danger in the world because it was, it was over twelve years ago or ten years ago. Um, was that was that like a was that new to you and were you shocked and how did you re- ha- ha- how did you react to it? Yeah,
0: no, it you know it wasn't it wasn't. So I we have four children and our second we adopted, um, and while we were in the process and the journey of adoption, we had an incident that actually had occurred. Um, where a woman had approached our um, five or 10 families that were adopting our children. And we weren't sure if it was a human trafficking case. And it was way back in 2001. So that term, you know, was not even used. But the vulnerability of the person who approached our 10 families um, and wanting to be able to sell their child so they could have money for food or shelter was something that just shocked me in that and my husband at that moment in time. And so as I reflected in 2008, which was, you know, seven years later on what had happened, you know, in, to, in 2001 in China, it was that moment where I realized, you know, this could very well have been that human trafficking back then. And it for sure is now in 2008 because this trafficker is being convicted of human trafficking on a federal offense. Um, and, you know, sex trafficking versus labor trafficking are the two, you know, trafficking um, areas that we in the U.S. really um, look at data. And so I think for me, I, I didn't know in 2010, as we started the nonprofit, the depth um, of how this crime is implemented across the U.S. Uh, and understood maybe a little bit or, or maybe I should say assumed uh, overseas that it was happening, um, which we know. But really not understanding the, the gravity of what was happening in the U.S. And so that's really where this idea of prevention and how do we how do we step in and stand in the gap um, on that side uh, in a way that changes the trajectory of people's lives.
1: And that's when you launched Three Strands.
0: Right. And so Three Strands focuses in on prevention, education and prevention through employment, um, and we talk about a lot of threes and three strands. So education, employment, and engagement are those three areas that we, um, we focus in on. The education, we have five different education programs, but one that we've had since 2010, which is our um, teacher training and our curriculum for students. It's called PROTECT. Uh, and that, that has been a wild success across the U.S., um, not just in California where we began with that program, but now in multiple states across the United States. In fact, almost a million kids that we've reached um, through that, that curriculum and wow. over 100,000 adults through that training of teachers and counselors and, and campuses. Um, so that, that's one of them. And then um, our other education programs have come about because of understanding the the life of a survivor. So, you know, in 2016, we said there's this gap in Sacramento around vulnerable populations um, who had been trafficked, had gone through healing and that process and journey, but hadn't have, didn't have a job. And so, you know, we, right. we've done this healing work, but we haven't addressed some of those core issues of of financial stability or food security, right? Some of those things that we know need to happen. So, Three Strands stepped into that place and started the Employee Plus Empower Program, which now we have served over 860 survivors and at-risk individuals through sustainable jobs. Um, And so we place um, individuals in jobs and make sure that they are thriving through direct services. So that program, as it launched in 2016, has really influenced all the, the new prevention programs that have come about as a result um, of that because they, we, we found they were needed in juvenile justice with government services, all of those other pieces have popped up since. So, and then the last, the last,
1: I wondered, Oh, go ahead. No, please.
0: The last E is, um, engagement. So education, employment, and engagement. And that E for engagement is really Hmm. the legislative work that we do. Um, We wrote um, AB 1227 along with uh, then Assemblyman um, Rob Bonta, and uh, it is mandating um, that all teachers be trained and educated, and students once in middle school and once in high school be educated um, on human trafficking and exploitation. And then we did a similar bill in Utah, and then on the federal level, we've been really active um, on on legislation from that perspective too. So the E and engagement is about the the engaging communities to stand up on the legislative side.
1: That's so important. And it's so hard to do. Uh, that's, that's, that's super, that's incredible. I'm wondering uh, if you could take us down to the ground, um, and, and really understand examples of human trafficking. Like it's a, it's a, it's kind of a nebulous idea or concept. Uh, I don't, can you tell us some stories of how an individual actually gets trafficked? Like, what is it, how, do? How, what do people have to look out for? Um, and then, and then just the life cycle of, of that journey, either, uh, someone that gets rescued or doesn't get rescued, what the circumstances actually look like. Um, just the severity of the circumstances bringing, could, could you kind of make it real for us if you will, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. In, in, in your experience and your understanding. Yeah. Well, I think of my little boy. I think of my son, son, Wesley, who's 13. I go, well, geez, what? He... I mean, he's 13. Is he safe? I don't know. Yeah. What yeah. what should we be looking out for? And then also just, you know, through your examples, you know, try to make it real for the audiences to, you know, how how close it could be to us all, you know, yeah. at all times.
0: Yeah. So let me unpack this because I love this question. So I'll, I'll ground everybody on the definition of human trafficking, just so we're all on the same page. And and really there yep. it is either by commercial sexual exploitation or forced labor. So those are two um, pieces uh, that we focus in on in the United States. So it's um, labor trafficking or sex trafficking. Um, and the three words that I like to be able to share with folks is It's force, fraud, and coercion. If there is force, fraud, or coercion, then it is a crime of human trafficking and prosecutable in the United States. So it doesn't have to have violence. It could just be fraud or coercion. Um, And it doesn't have to have any of the – all of those things could happen or one of those things could happen, um, whether it's an adult or a minor, right? So really important for us to debunk the myth of the movie Taken debunk the the white van and stranger stranger danger, um, somebody grabbing somebody off the street. Human trafficking is a crime where most of the time, the majority of the time, somebody knows somebody. Um, And in knowing someone, a relationship is built. And and through that journey of a relationship, that individual who is vulnerable, and we all are vulnerable, but some are more vulnerable than others, um, is groomed. And through that grooming process is connected and bonded to that perpetrator or the trafficker in the example. And that bond then makes it so that the victim doesn't even sometimes see themselves as a victim, right? So, you know, if you think about a, and I'll give you a story, an example, a 14 year old who's online and friends for our teens or even our, our tweens or even younger, the term friend is so different for you and I than it was, it is for them, right? That's right. They want as many as they possibly can get. And they don't necessarily know who that person is that they've connected with. And in this example I'm giving, this young teenager didn't, you know, thought they knew that the person on the other, um, that they were chatting with online was another 14 year old, but in case, but in this case, wasn't. And happened to go through our curriculum, our Protect curriculum um, in class. And the the teacher afterwards said to all the students in the class, Hey, if you're online and, and you don't recognize the characteristics of a trusted adult through the person who you're communicating with, or this person has asked you some of those red flag questions about pictures or um, pictures of yourself or in ways that are, you know, very private, then, you know, some of those things in the conversation, this young teen boy decided that, you know what, this actually is a situation that, that my teacher is talking about. So confided in another hmm. teacher. So he picked up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, picked up on it. Mm. And another teacher then um, who didn't teach the class, but he confided in, went to the teacher and said, hey, you know, he's a little concerned and they did a little research. And sure enough, it was a 50 year old man. It was not another 14 year old boy. So, you know, those types of stories happen not just, you know, in one place, but all over the United States because traffickers have a gateway through social media and perpetrators to Mm -hmm. our youth. Um, Whether that's gaming in Minecraft or it's through Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok, that is a pathway and an entryway to our kids. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that we have seen in so many different states um, is that that traffickers exploit that gateway and that that ability to make a relationship or create a relationship with an individual um, and exploiting the vulnerability of that individual. So in this case... This young 14-year-old was looking for attention and love because he was feeling bullied in school and was seeking out friends mm. that he would help him to understand that he was valuable and he was worthy. And so this perpetrator, this trafficker, did just that. And and through that journey was grooming him to trust him, right, and to um, be able to be closer so that they could actually at some point meet in person. Um, and stories like that are many across all of the different states that we work in when it comes to youth. In fact, I will tell you a statistic that is very sobering. 421 reports to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children came in in the year 2000, 421. Last year was 85 million of of child abuse um, sexual material, CSAM material um, for the center. So reports have just skyrocketed because kind of this example I just gave you of our youth that that are online and, and with all sorts of different people and don't have that understanding of what is that trusted and safe adult? What are the characteristics of a trusted and safe adult? And I need to remember that if someone asks me certain questions that I need to tell that trusted and safe adult in my in my circle that this isn't okay um, and that someone may be trying to exploit me for sextortion or You know, to meet with me, or there are lots of different things that fall under that umbrella of human trafficking.
1: Okay, that's really helpful. On the weekends, my thirteen-year-old stays up late with his friends, and they have their headphones on, and we don't hear anything, right? (laughs) Yeah. They're playing on these platforms with individuals that sometimes we have no idea who they are, um, and the and that probably drives the point of your entire nonprofit, and that is education is absolutely mission critical to youth today, especially probably even more so than when you started over 10 years ago, right? Oh,
0: 100%. In that statistic that I shared with you, you know, part of what we have to understand is that our kids are a target, right? So if they are, then how do we actually build and empower them with the knowledge to protect themselves? And their peers, for that matter, too. That if I am a student who's, you know, 10 years old and I'm in a classroom and my, my friend says something to me that just doesn't seem right, even at 10 or 11 or 12, that I know who I can go to, to to be able to say, I don't think something is right with Ashley. or I don't think something's right with Dan. Something seems a little off. Or if I'm in high school and I notice that Ashley is no longer... Is socializing with us as friends, but she's isolated herself with this new boyfriend who's online and communicating with her, and she brings two cell phones to class. And all of a sudden, these two cell phones, she seems really agitated when one shows a text message versus the other. Right, there are definitely things that as a peer, I could see... Little or markers. Right, that would be those red yeah. flats for somebody.
1: Which you wouldn't even think to look at uh, in a normal circumstance. How do you, personally, Ashley, keep up the keep your chin up and motivated, uh, and not be discouraged after ten years of this in working in this arena? Now, the categories that you mentioned earlier, they're, those are challenging categories to push forward. Uh, building alliances to address the needs, making education, lobbying, uh, political. Leaders uh, on agendas. How is it that you managed yourself to kind of uh, to keep the spirit up and keep going?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question. So it, it is the hope that that 14 year old that went to the teacher and said, "Hey, something's not right." That we just changed the life of that child, right? I mean, I in the mm. from a faith perspective and a hope perspective, for me, it's it, it just rests there. You know, I. I will tell you every morning I walk three and a half miles with my dogs um, really early, and um, and talk to my four children in the evening um, often to be able to remind myself of um, that I want all children to thrive that I that they deserve and have the ability to if we pave a way that has this protection this freedom um and so it's really hope and um and the stories that fuel me and just you know through our employee plus empower program we have, we have served over 800 survivors 868 actually um, wow. and then those survivors and at risk individuals lives um were were harmed by complex trauma in a way that you and I will never experience or I hope we never experience right and yet they are incredibly strong and incredibly brave and courageous to walk through not only the healing process, but then the, the initial how do I find a job and how do I keep a job and how do I thrive in that job and what does that look like and how do I make sure that my children, the generational um, trauma doesn't affect them in the way that it may have affected me. Um, because familial trafficking is uh, is definitely something in the United States that happens far more than you and I want it to. And so that perspective- And again,
1: familiar trafficking is, ta- fa- familiar trafficking, give me the <laughs> so, definition of that so again. Fami-
0: familial trafficking is when a family member traffics, either by sex or labor, a, um, a another family member.
1: So an example of that would be-
0: So if I'm-, uh, a, I'm a, An uncle. Mm-hmm. Yep, an uncle or a mom or a dad that is selling that child either for um, work that they're, that they're not getting paid for, but the trafficker is taking that money or um, they are selling that child or that individual. doesn't have to be just be a child. It could be an adult too for sex um, in order to be able to um, get some maybe push back or throwback from the trafficker. Maybe he provides a house or he provides a safe place for them to sleep or he provides food. And um, not very much of it, but provides it, and so that um, selling of that child is or adult, other you know adult is what happens is familial trafficking, and that is something that happens in the U. S.
1: Yeah, so so it's like a scenario where even a young lady would be at somebody's house or their uncle's house, and the uncle says, "Look, you can stay here, but look, you got to do some favors every once in a while." That's right. And they just get caught into that cycle. They can't leave. They're more dependent. They don't have outside inputs to kind of get perspective properly, and they're and they're stuck and and they're trafficked. That is a that's that's the definition of trafficking. Yep, mm-hmm.
0: and and the shame that comes with for that survival, well, of course, is huge. And so to be able to say to someone, my mom, my dad, my uncle, I mean that. We know with child abuse, how hard abuse is. And so trafficking is abuse and it's it's mental and it's physical, right? It's the breaking down someone's ability to trust. And it's so you're so dependent on your trafficker, the person who is trafficking you, that you're not quite sure where freedom is anymore. We call it caging of the mind, right? Cause it's really yeah. deep mind. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no that that makes total sense and 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 it really broadens my uh, orientation around the definition of trafficking. Uh and, and and it's not just the body, it's also the mind. Yeah. Um, well, you know, in, you, in in your experiences building this, what what's been the most character-defining moment for you and how's it informed kind of the way you live and work today?
0: Yeah, I love that question too. So I think for me like I just shared, survivors that we have worked with with our Employee Plus Empower program are incredibly courageous and capable, so incredibly capable. And for for me and my character and who I am, I think I look at them and, and inspires me, right? It does. Every single time right. I hear one of their stories. Um, and at the same time, when I hear their story and the trauma they've endured, it wrecks me. <laughs> and so there's this, for my own character, it's this sort of, you know, how do we best meet the needs of those we serve? And I think about the, the the most supportive way to do that um, and the most um, helpful way people in this space, like you talked about earlier, don't last a whole long time, right? Being 13 years in, we have seen agencies come and go. But I think right. this supportive nature of who Three Strands Global Foundation is is one of the character-defining pieces um, as as individuals, as people and staff, but also as an agency, because support is far better than um, some agencies who may have exploited stories or exploited the, the actual people in order to be able to get funding or to be able to actually make um, new programs Sheesh. happen. And so for me, as I look at the agency and myself and my own character, it is always about how do we support and ethically tell stories in a way that don't have names or don't have locations or, right? It makes it so that we are able to elevate and help people understand, but in a respectful way so that, because character does matter and, and, and agency character as well as individual character in this space really matters. Um, and that's not yeah. always done. And so that's a really important piece of sort of reflecting on, on the journey of Three Strands and myself. That that always is a part of the culture as well as our character and who we are, is that supportive nature and helpful nature. And and then the other piece from a character is, you know, in this space, I could get um always angry, right, at what's happened to a survivor. Yeah.
1: Um, totally. Yeah. Right.
0: Because it because it pains me. What I, I spent two years interviewing um uh, men at San Quentin Prison and in that journey understood root causes in a way that i had not understood before and i when i was asked mm. to go i remember thinking i don't think i can do this i've heard thousands of survivor stories and i'm not so sure i can walk into that place and be toe to toe with someone who has perpetrated that um and I, and it wasn't because um it, it had nothing to do with me it had li- every story i thought will it Will it literally not be able to be something where I can see that person across from me as a person, like only as this evil? And it, and, and I didn't want to do that, right? right, if I could only see evil. What I realized by, by getting to the place of I can do this for um, the prevention side, right, I, from the prevention to understand how it happened so that we can prevent it, that piece I got to and said, okay, I'll go. But in the midst of understanding stories, I understood that a lot of the perpetrator's story was parallel to the survivor's story. That a lot of the homelessness and food scarcity and abuse that happened in the survivor's beginning happened equally on the perpetrator's start too, at a young age. And that gave perspective that, that I really had to take a deep breath and say, wow, The evil piece is the act, not the person. And the evil piece, we have to be able to reflect on. And how do we now as prevention, not just stop victims from becoming victims, but perpetrators from becoming perpetrators and buyers from becoming buyers. So the prevention lens really changed. And for me, from my character, it also in that space, which I love that you talked about with the rock of forgiveness, that, that piece came around right? It was, I yeah. need to be able to forgive this individual so I can hear their story and hear where they began and recognize where could we have been as support and help in the beginning to prevent that from happening to them, but also the trafficking of someone else later on in their lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're you're talking about bringing dignity to the full circle, both, both the victims and the and the perpetrators and, and, and looking at them as humans that have also suffered greatly as a consequence of their story. And, um, and that's really hard to do. And, um, but it's really the only way, in my opinion, to, to really probably bring a full solution to the problem that, uh, that really works, you know, um, that's that's amazing the that us she went into those prisons and met with these individuals um yeah the bringing dignity to the perpetrators or finding forgiveness in your heart um that's a that's a beautiful thing that's that's really a beautiful thing do you do that as an organization now is that integrated at all into your staff and or board members or how is that piece, which I don't often hear uh, brought into consideration from an organizational standpoint?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So part of what we realized from that and building out our prevention and working with survivors who helped us understand, you know, the, the grooming process and, and also their lives after, you know, what being trafficked in afterwards was um, that juvenile justice in that place where we could actually fill a gap was with parole and probation officers who are working with juveniles in the juvenile justice system? Because when you think about where I had interviewed these individuals in prison, in adult prison, right? We missed that opportunity to actually come in yeah. and say catch them. That's right. What's the prevention work we can do earlier? So what what blossomed and now is a program for us is working specifically with probation and parole officers to help them be positive change agents in the lives of the children that they are serving in juvenile justice, which is a beautiful mm. thing. Right. Because now we have the ability to do what we missionally are focused on, which is prevention, not just for, you know, those millions of children who are in schools, but also those who may be in the juvenile justice system who Also have great value and worth, and and have the opportunity for us to work with probation officers and parole officers in that space.
1: Okay, now I'm going to shift a little bit because you you're you're in an arena where there are problems everywhere, right? I mean, it's not just uh, the event; it's all these problems. As an organizational leader, how do you manage what you take on and what you just can't? I mean, because there's just so many different areas where. Uh, you could say, "Look, well, now I have to go do this, and now I have to go do that." How do you? How does the? How does three strands kind of find its niche and stay focused on that, and mm-hmm. and make a difference versus being distracted by all the other things that maybe other people need to help with as well?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a it's really important. Um, as our executive staff, you know, meets, we talk about the opportunities that come our way. And um, does this fit within our mission, which is mobilizing communities to prevent human trafficking through education and reintegration? So does it fit within the mission going always back to the mission as well as our strategic goals, right? If If we're looking at our five strategic goals and saying, are we operating with integrity? Are we the leader in what we do, right? Are we making sure that um, strategically we're aligned within education and the integration. Those are sort of what we come back to. And, and not only the executive staff, but all of our staff, we actually have our goals all tied to our strategic objectives every year. So that I, as a staff member, um, as an executive staff member, can always see where I am and how I fit within the strategic yeah. goals of the agency. and And that helps me also, as people bring things to Ashley or the other executive staff, to say, okay, so let's have a conversation of how this fits within mission or doesn't. Does it fit within the mission of preventing through education or reintegration? If it doesn't, then we pass it by, right? If it does, then we have a deeper conversation on the level of does it fit within the strategic objectives of the agency and of our year? Um, And if it does, great, then we take it to the next level. Um, If it doesn't, then we say goodbye. Um, Because you're right, there are so many things that we could be involved in but we always come back missionally to does it fit within the mission and and then and not the vision because the vision is so much more broad and, and, and always, in my personal opinion, should always be somewhat unattainable, right? Um, because that's a vision sure. that always keeps you grasping um, at a world free from human trafficking, which in my lifetime, I hope and pray happens. Um, But it's always just that space that, you know, is maybe a little unattainable. So we're going after it. Um, But that's how we as an executive staff and as all staff, we look and say, does it fit within our mission? If it doesn't with education reintegration, then it's easier to say no to. But in that space of, you know, juvenile justice, one of the things that we came to was, yes, it fits within the education part of our mission. Is it really in the human trafficking, you know where does that fit? because we it's really through you know mobilizing communities to prevent um, human trafficking through education and reintegration. When we looked at the data, which data for us is thirteen years deep, we have been doing all sorts of impact data wow. analysis for a long time, which I know is unusual, but it's how we know we're making impact. When we looked at the data of our survivors, there was over eighty percent had been involved in juvenile justice. And so if 80% of our survivors are involved in juvenile justice, then missionally we need to be there in the education space so that we prevent, right, missionally again, what we're trying to prevent. Right,
1: right. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Well, tell us about, try to give people just, uh, an appreciation of your scope and breadth of where you all are, where you're operating. Um, yeah. And, and how... Um, how they can integrate some of the work that you guys do in, in local communities or, and also jump in and help you guys uh, keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I um, we are located across the United States, I'm a national nonprofit. Our headquarters is in Sacramento, California, uh, but we have offices mm-hmm. in Texas and Utah and Oregon and Ohio, um, and we wow. do work um, across the U.S. Um, with our programming So people can get, they can go to our website. That's the best place to be able to land to see all of our programs. I just touched on a few. There's actually far many more that we have at Three Strands. Um, They can also consider, which you know, always funding is key to the impact that we do and we have. Um, We love monthly donors. So if people this resonates, and as they go to the website and research about who we are, what we do, uh, monthly sustainable donations are great. One-time donations are good too, but that monthly is that sustainable piece. Um, and unrestricted makes it easier for us to be able to to pivot as we do our work if we need to. Um, when, when the pandemic hit, you know, we had teachers and counselors teaching the curriculum in the classroom. And we had to not only was already online because we had scaled our education program across the U.S., but they had to then, you know, via Zoom or through other um, programs, be able to reach kids. And so we had to sort of recreate curriculum guides and all sorts of things, and that wasn't things we we budgeted for, right? So our unrestricted right. funds come in really handy in that space. So people can do that, um, and then from a volunteer perspective, we do have a volunteer um, form that's on our website. People can fill out. We have all sorts of needs that sometimes can be done remotely, uh, and so if that's something oh, really? that some, yeah, if that's something that someone says, you know, I. <laughs> could help with, you know, Monday.com. For example, we use Monday.com and would love to be able to be a volunteer in that space and help Three Strands navigate what the best boards are to, to create. We we would have the opportunity for someone to be able to help us in that space. So, um, yeah, we, and then, you know, in person, we obviously have lots of volunteers if in located in any of the places I mentioned, um, that can help as well. Uh, and then I think that, you know, really for us, um, as we continue to do our work, we want communities to be mobilized, and that's part of our mission. And so what that means is legislatively getting involved too, understanding at the state level and the federal level, you know, what's what's the legislation that's out there? Right now, there's the Earn It Act um, and Stop CSAM um, federally. In different states, there are bills around holding tech companies accountable to taking down images um, and also um, making sure that that survivors gets um, compensation for, um, you know, exploitation that may have happened on some of those platforms. So there's all sorts of different legislation that I would encourage your listeners to be able to engage in their local and state as well as their federal legislation, because that's the mobilizing of communities that we need, especially when human trafficking is not talked about as
1: much as it should be. Yeah, I think, I, I believe um, a good friend, of, uh, not a, good, a friend of mine, uh, Gary Haugen, founded uh, IGM, which is International Justice Mission, and and one of the things that they do is they they go after some of these awful problems uh, at at the at the legal side uh, and and writing writing um, laws for countries and supporting uh, police departments and local legislators, crafting legislation that helps. Uh, us be able to address some of these dark circumstances and i think that's one of the most powerful ways to universally address things is if we put uh in the hands of of our lawmakers uh the ability to to enforce you know uh against the the darkness that's creeping in uh, especially around human trafficking and and things such as the things that you live with every day and, and are fighting against for the last 12 years. So, Ashley, thank you so much for being who you are. Uh, thank you for sticking with it for, for as long as you have. And and it doesn't look like the spirit is waning in any way. In fact, it's, it looks like it's growing in you. And uh, keep up the good work and, and uh, thank you for being on our show.
0: Thank you, Dan, so much for the opportunity to be on your show and just for asking great questions, too, and and really wanting to engage. I really appreciate it. It means a whole lot.
1: Oh, man, I wish I could do more. So let's 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 help Ashley. uh, Three strands. um, Let's pull together. uh, Let's think about how we can uh, take some of the learnings from three strands and integrate it into our neighborhood, um, in our communities and in our families, um, especially, you know, just before we leave. Advice for parents. What would be your advice for parents um, in how they communicate with their kids and and how to approach this issue effectively?
0: Yeah. So I'm a, a parent of four, and my youngest was four years old when we started the nonprofit. And open conversation is so important. Your kids need to know that you are that trusted adult, that you are and have the characteristics of a trusted adult, which means that conversations are not punitive or judgment, but there's really open conversations and, and conversations frequently. How are you doing? What does today look like? You know, And maybe it's playing a game, doing a puzzle, walking outside, just taking a deep breath with each other but it's it is being there and connecting that is so important for parents to do with their children and especially when it comes to online you mentioned earlier which i think was so good dan you know our kids have their earbuds in their ears and we don't hear you know it's really important to know what's happening on their phones if you pay for their phone which most parents do that that's something that you can actually look at and and be able to scroll and text and see what's happening on text threads and What's happening between friends and having friends over so that you know who the friends are Um, and just being in a way connected to your children and Mm, all the way you can is so important in in their lives because it it shows them and says to them, you're showing up. It's your actions, right? Speaks louder than words.
1: Love that, Ashley. Thank you so much for your wisdom and uh, coaching. And uh, till next time.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. For information about investing in character-led companies, please visit www.rocinvestments.com and join the growing number of investors choosing to make character a priority when investing their money.